Hello and welcome to Connected by Life. I'm your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about the important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders, especially in regards to organ donation and transplantation. Today, we are welcoming back Nyla Schwab to continue our discussion on the Traumatic Loss Support Program. She has a Master's of Education and is also a Provisional Licensed Professional Counselor. She's been with LOPA for over 15 years and has also published on the topic of traumatic loss. So many of the conversations that I've had throughout, I mean, I say the state, but it's even further than that, even at a recent conference, I was talking about like the aftercare that you all provide. And there were several physicians that have mentioned that, you know, I don't think there's enough healthcare workers or physicians that know the support that is being provided to families after the loss. So thank you for sharing. But what I wanted to get into now was just like, what is the process of the traumatic loss support program? Oh, I love talking about this. So I don't know what every OPO does. So I am speaking what our OPO does. You know, when I was in the hospital as a liaison, uh, sometimes I would I would walk in and I would make eye contact and the physician would walk the other way. And I was like, I mean, I remember one time saying, I see you. I see you walking away from me. And they told me, well, I'll be back, Nyla. I know what this means. And it's, you know, when I show up, it it meant that there's loss. So I, I feel like when I go in, or if I went in now, I would say, ho, 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 I am here to support this family. Because whether the answer is yes to donation or no to donation, or we don't even get to the point of discussing donation. As a LOPA representative, I can I can say that we have a family service department that is there to support you with questions, connection to resources, and that's what that's what we do. That's what we do all day long. So we have a 15 month program that we support our families. And it's it's I mean, I'll just kind of run you down the the timeline real quickly. But we have um, we first send out a condolence card because we want the families to know how to contact us. And that's immediately. Uh, we also send a medallion, memory-making the flag um, items. And then anywhere from 10 to 20 days, we're going to follow up the, with the family with a phone call that's going to explain what was recovered. We're here to answer any questions you may have, any concerns you may have. I, I feel like it's that first point of contact with the phone conversation that we let them know that they can call us at any time, that if we will we'll call them back as soon as possible, even if it's on the weekend, we are there to support them. So you have this timeline, which I want you to continue. Yeah. But I'm just wondering, like thoughts are going through my head. Is there times like you have this structured timeline? Is there times when families call you all? Yes. Yes. So when a family is approached by donation... Um, for donation, uh, our number, we, they're always told we have a family service department. So we we have several families that will reach out the day after with questions. So after um, that first initial phone call, and, and, and if, a, if a family, if they're unable to donate, for some reason we can't pursue donation, um, we still continue to support those families. So if they give consent, they have the intention of helping someone, they are um, they are put into our family support program, and so then we we follow up with mailers. They're actually called 
caring cards is what we call them. Um, They're points of contact. They actually, it's after some research through the veterans that found that just these children who had never met these veterans um, wrote letters to the veterans. And it was, they felt so supported just knowing that people cared about them. So we kind of took that research and implemented it into what we do. And we send out these uh, cards that just um, encourage support. They each have a different word on them. And it's it's just easy for a family to either read them, hold them, or toss them in the mail if they don't want them. Uh, so that three months, we're going to send out a card. We're also sending a card that talks about grief versus trauma. Um if someone's going through trauma, it can sometimes block grief. So that's why we have that that time of three months, because we want a family to start recognizing some of the, the uh, symptoms of what trauma might look like so that we can encourage them to see their doctor and seek additional help. Uh, and we'll have the conversation with them when we call them back at four months. So at four months, we're going to talk about a self-care card. We're going to see how they're doing. We're checking in. We're going to talk about the trauma versus grief card that we already mailed them. A lot of families just put things to the side. So this gives us a chance to bring it back up again. We don't want to miss these marks. Uh, and so our self-care card, it's my favorite. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's got the the four-legged stool, Mm -hmm. talks about trying to keep a balance. And so this is a great conversation. And we talk about the four different legs, support system, physical health, daily living activities. And the last one, it it seems to always get families talking. And that is, are you finding any joy? Are you finding any meaning or purpose in your life? And, And it just always opens that conversation of, this is hard. And I think it gives them a safe place to kind of talk about their grief if they need that. So it, it really puts us into a deeper conversation and allows us, if they need some additional support, around four months we find that that's when other family members' lives have gone back to normal. Everybody's life's gone back to normal, but that person who's experienced the loss, their life has changed forever. And I've heard families even say that one of their biggest fears, like during that time, is that people start to forget. Yeah. So I can't imagine, you know, you all, the conversations that you all have and the the connection that you all make with them. It's a very vulnerable time. You know, we do. And it's not with everybody because, I mean, we're in the South. We have some families that are connected through their church. We have big families in the South. They have each other. They have neighborhoods there, you know, whatever it is. But again, going back to, you know, when there is when there when you say trauma that can be just an unexpected loss that you don't know how to handle and when you lose somebody you love who has a book on that who knows how to deal with that so there's this small percentage that we don't want to slip through the cracks we want to be that support system if they need us so then you've got another 6 month card that goes out just reminding families hey we're here we're thinking of you you're not alone Um, And then we are going to follow up around 11 months because now we're approaching the one-year milestone. We used to say anniversary, but then we recognize that it's more of a milestone. Like if you are running a marathon, which I have never done and will never do, (laughs) they have markers. And so once you get to a mile marker, that's not easy. And so we know that that one-year milestone is not easy. And families typically start thinking about that long before that one-year mark. 
arrives. And so we want to we want to talk to them about that we, because sometimes it's all been in their own head because they don't want to burden other family members who are also grieving. So it, it's almost like sometimes families can be walking around all grieving, but they don't want to share it with each other because they don't want to bring the other person down. Do you find in some of those conversations, too, when you're talking about these mile markers that like, say, year one, there's a there's an expectation for them to feel like families feel like, well, you should be at this point now. Yes. And, you know, old school, like grief used to be thought of as linear. Like, you know, you just you got through to a certain point and then you you let go of the past and now you had to look forward to the future and and live. But then after the 1990s, new research comes out and it says, hey, no, it's not linear. I mean, it is it is just constant. It is always with us. And it's all about trying to figure out how to adapt live differently and bring your loved one forward with you. Because I mean, if think about a young girl who loses her mother. So every milestone for her is or a marker, it's gonna be it's gonna be a new experience. So when she gets married, her mother's not gonna be there with her. Mm. When she has her first baby, her mother's not gonna be there. So that she's gonna go through life at different points in her life, always kind of reliving this grief and and working this into her story. So I just think that uh, we're a nation that doesn't really talk about grief. I would think that hospitals are so busy that people who have died and those families can sometimes get lost in that mix. And I would say for Lopa, our staff shows up and we have time. We have expertise in this area about supporting that family. And then we have this whole support program after that family leaves the hospital. So if I were a doctor, which I'm not because I'm not clinical, um, I would say if I saw Lopa walk on on site, I think I would be like, thank you, because I know we got this team coming in to support a family, even if they say no to donation, even if that discussion never comes up. We continue to move forward and learn how to support families better. Well, I was going to say earlier when you were talking about your relationship of walking onto the unit and them, you know, running away from you. Yeah, and yeah. But this and a lot of the support that family advocates, the family support program, all of these individuals working to be committed to these families and also to the staff. What it does is it builds trust, yeah. you know, because we're working together for this family and working together for one another because we're all experiencing a certain level of death. It's not in comparison to the family, but I'm just saying when you were talking about, you know, like the physician recognizing their loss that they've had in trying to save that person's life. So having these supportive processes in place is really building that connection and in trust, which just continues to you know, bring things to a higher level on what we're trying to achieve. I also do some work supporting clients. Um, outside of LOPA. And with that, I, I, every every person I give the self-card to. So, so that's, a, that's a tongue twister. Self-care card, too. And my family knows it. It's on our refrigerator because nine out of 10 times when I am sinking or, ha- or struggling with something, I can go back and say, have I slept? Have I exercised? Have I um, am, have I seen any friends lately? Have I even hugged somebody? I think it's like eight hugs a day. It, it increases like your self esteem and your and your joy. And so these things come back to me. And a lot of times I can sit and I can say, "Wow, I know what leg is too short, and I know where I need to put a little time." So I I'm a firm believer, and I think staff in the hospital are we caring for ourselves? Are we take are we taking time to to 
for our, our coworker. All of this stuff, it is being intentional. You and I talk about that. I mean, the there is a there is a start to life and there's an end to life. And I, and I know we know that, but when we get into the daily groove of things, we sometimes forget it. We celebrate birth, but sometimes we just don't know what to do at the time of death. And yet, if these are our two most important moments in our lives and of those that we love, we need to start educating ourselves around grief and what that looks like. And being comfortable to have those conversations. Yeah, yeah. And so we, I feel like with our family support program, um, I mean, just to finish the timeline, then at 15 months, we're also going to send out a card and it just kind of wraps up our support to say, hey, we're here. Um, we're also talking to our families about ways to honor their hero. Uh, and that's whether somebody's able to, to I mean, it may be that they have the intention of donating. Their loved one is still a hero because it's the intention, the gift from the heart of, yes, I want to donate. That makes someone a hero. I mean, I, I can tell you if somebody... If I if, if my child were standing in the road and I could not get to them, I would want my neighbor to run across and scoop them up. That's a hero. The person who is trying to help that person, somebody. And, a, and we, we see heroes everywhere and all the time. And I think that's the beauty of where you sit when you are asked into the end of life of someone and their family. It is a sacred place that says you can, you can be part of this. And I, I guess that's why I've stuck around with Lopa for so long, because I, I just feel like it is a gift to walk into somebody's life and to meet that loved one through their loved ones, right? And and you get to hear all about that person through the lens of the people that love them. Well, one of the things it reminds me of is when I was talking about like not forgetting that fear. And so when you were talking about making sure that we have an opportunity to continue to honor and remember those heroes is a lot like whenever they're doing the different April Donor Awareness events or mm-hmm. things during Thanksgiving. And sometimes it's not even surrounded around an event. We have candlelight ceremonies and all these different types of things, which you know is honoring that hero, but it also impacts that hospital staff. And seeing these families where that might have been that might be the first time they were back in that hospital since they lost their loved one yeah. and seeing what this has done for them and what other people have done it builds that um, that hope within themselves yeah absolutely i hope that anyone listening to this podcast if they're even a little bit interested, they'll reach out so that I can connect them with Dr. Ray Tucker and Dr. Campbell about how we can better support uh, families in the hospital. I think that us working together in collaboration as people, entities supporting families, that there's a lot more that we can do. Slowly changing our language around suicide, um, learning more about grief, and, and better supporting one another as we support families through grief. So what do you, in, in closing, um, one is, is, I mean, you've shared so much, and there's so many things to there's take away from so this. so much more I could say about <laughs> it. But. I'll have you back on, I promise. <laughs> um, you know, I know that you know, this podcast is primarily for physicians and healthcare workers. If there's any additional information or something that you would like to share that would be particularly useful for them, what would that be? I would say that this, the resources that we have are for any 
anyone to share. And so we have resources that we can share with the hospitals so that these can be shared with the other family members, even if they're not approached by LOPA. There is support for anyone who is going through difficult times, and this is nationwide. Um, so I hope that we can be seen as a, a support to the hospitals. So I'm going to ask this last question. It's more of a personal one because you obviously can feel, I see the passion you know, that you have just put into this program and into the lives of other people. Um, I mean, I could speak for so many people knowing the impact that you made even upon my life, but what is your favorite thing about this program? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Just helping somebody not feel alone is, is hands down the most important part to me. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to this program. I mean, it wasn't me that pulled this program together. It's just been a lot of people coming together, but all for all to help. And I think that's what LOPA does. It's about making life happen. And I, and I feel like our family support service is a, an extension of that. We continue because the people that are left behind after losing a loved one in whatever situation, it is they, there's a life ahead of them. And the quality of life depends on how that person grieves. And if we can be part of that and making that a healthy future. That's why I come to work every day. Well, this collaborative approach that LOPA provides is definitely a beautiful part of the core purpose, and you're definitely a part of it. So thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. And also thank you for being the kind of person that cares about organ, eye, and tissue donation. You can register anytime at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. And remember, you're a light worker. Keep shining. This is a production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison, Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz. Our production assistant is Chandra Williams. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.